It's a beautiful day and we're glad to have you join us as always on Budget Podcast. Thank you for always staying with us. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your observations. Uh, thank you for your contribution as well. My name is Nancy Adimego and I'll be taking you through the first episode for the year 2022. Well, uh, it's no news that the 2022 budget is out and along with it came uh, lots of discoveries, you know, by different uh, civil society organizations. Actually, the, the topic is, is making trends on media airwaves and the rest of it. And we have uh, some great minds who would be joining us to, you know, let us really understand what is actually lying behind this particular budget, uh, some of its significance, as well as um, uh, recommendations that could follow on it. Joining me in the conversation today is Kalo Aja, a financial planner, as well as Abel Akeni, he's the head of research and policy advisory at Budget Foundation. Hi, Abel. Hi, Kalo. So good to have you join us. Hi, Nancy. Hello, Nancy. How are you doing today? I'm fine, actually. Thank you so much. Okay, so um, we're just going to go right into it. Um, It's no news to us that the 2022 budget is out already, yes. And uh, a budget recently released um, its discovery in the 2022 budget. Uh, There were some uh, duplicated items that were there, I mean, over 460. So I think let's just have a general assessment of what the 2022 budget is all about and let us have more insight on the discoveries and how they were identified. So let's start with Abel here. Abel, so just um, just take us through the 2022 budget, you know, just roughly here and there. And you can also cite some of the MDAs where these particular duplicated items were identified. All right, thank you very much, Nancy. Um, it's a pleasure to be here once again. Um, so I guess I'll, the, the first starting point for me would be to highlight, uh, in terms of assessing the budget, that one of the biggest issues um, with the budget it has to do with um, budget realism. Um, and I'll start out by pointing out um, the revenue projections for 2022, which put out about 10.74 um, trillion. Um, this is a big concern, largely because Nigeria has never done, um, or the federal government itself has never raised up to um, five trillion anywhere in the past six years, um, and there aren't no radically or there are no radically new strategies, revenue generation strategies um, that are convincing enough. Um, to put the mind at ease that we will hit this target. And this is a big problem because once once we face a scenario where revenue targets are missed, um, the implication is that um, we are either going to push the country into more depth than projected, or we are going to have a lot of abandoned projects um, littering the length and breadth of this country because the different MDAs in the country enter into agreements with um, contractors based on how much revenue they expect the country to make. And then if the projection is um, a bit um, besides reality, we would face situations where we enter into contracts that um, we cannot realistically fund during the lifespan of, of that contract. So that, that's one of the big um, concerns, um, the budget and realism issues. But moving away from um, those, those projections, there are also problems um, with um, the expenditures. There are expenditure inefficiencies um, and there are outright um, loopholes for fraud. 
um, in the budget. Um, and one of the ones the media is quite concerned with has to do with um, duplicated projects um, in the budget. Um, so this, this took two forms. Um, one of the forms is scenarios in which you see um, a single line item um, repeated more than once. In such situations, you could have in reality when implementation starts, um, the budget for the budget for one of such items um, would be um, the budget for one of such items will be implemented. Um, whereas, um, whereas the budget for the other um, will find its way into private pockets, um, but the project will still be reported um, as um, completed. Um, so, I will give an example with the. Um, um, provision of transformers and um, 500 kva transformers in ilaro uh, for 250 million um, and then we have the same project repeated again for provision of um, transformers exactly um, the same location um, the same spelling the same allocation occurring twice under the same mda and we have similar scenarios like that um, in some cases um, the same project budgeted for by one MDA is also repeated in a different agency. So we have uh, the provision of solar-powered boreholes in specific areas in Katsina South Senatorial District um, by the Upper Niger River Basin Development Authority. Um, and then we have the Ministry of Water Resources Headquarters also um, providing solar-powered boreholes in the same um, locations. So uh, we have scenarios like that um, across the budget, across several ministries, um, which is a cause um, for concern. Um, the other form duplicated projects take, uh, the other forms they actually assumed in the 2022 budget, we have scenarios where an otherwise unique ERGP code uh, was used for more than one project. So typically in the budget, every capital project has a unique identifier. But we've seen scenarios where uh, more than one project um, are being tagged with the same unique um, identifier. And that can create um, a loophole for fraud, um, especially when um, that's been reported or when um, the when when implementation of the project starts. Um, so, but this is even one of the smallest um, issues of for concern in the budget because this can be quite easily um, blocked at the level of the Ministry of Finance. Um, disbursement of funds can be stopped to such to such projects. Other larger issues have to do with. Um, projects that are assigned or allocated to ministries um, that are outside the capacities of those ministries um, to deliver them or that are outside the mandate of those ministries um, to deliver them. And I'll give um, two quick examples. Um, we have the National Center for Agricultural Mechanization, which should be responsible for mechanizing the way we conduct agriculture in this country. But we have that same um, agency being responsible for constructing half of a secondary school in Lagos State. We also have the Nigeria Stored Products Research Institute um, in Ilorin, also con constructing the other half of the same secondary school. And this secondary school is the Femi Bajabi Amila Public Secondary School in Itiri. So the Agricultural Mechanization Center is constructing block A, B, and C. And then you have another agency, the Stored Product Research Institute, constructing block D, E, and F, all for the total of 1.4 billion. Um, and this is a project in the first place, both agencies don't even have the capacity, or would I say the mandate um, to, to implement. 
um, if we move on to another agency like the Nigerian Institute for Oceanography um, and Marine Research, um, we find this agency now constructing street lights um, in um, Ovioma Gege's um, senatorial district in um, Delta, um, Delta Central Senatorial District. Um, and then we have several examples of agencies that are now being redirected um, or that have broadened the definition of their mandates to allow them carry out um, or to allow them award contracts that are very easy um, to manipulate or to um, basically nominate their own candidates for, for such contracts. So I think that's an area of big concern because there, there are powerful politicians and powerful vested interests being behind such distortions and it's more difficult um, to get these people um, to, to back down. We have the, the Nigerian Export Promotion Council purchasing motorcycles for constituency projects um, for, for different legislators. So if we have agencies that are supposed to help Nigeria export more, we have agencies that are supposed to help Nigeria uh, improve or reduce um, post-harvest losses. Um, and improve the quality of our agriculture. But these agencies um, have been taken over by vested interest for other projects, running into hundreds of billions of Naira. Um, it's, a, it's a cause for concern because a lot of those monies will end up finding their ways into private pockets and ultimately citizens would be unable um, to, to get value for money. So I'll just stop here um, by saying there is a lot of expenditure inefficiencies um, with the budget and there are a lot of loopholes for fraud um, that need to be looked at critically. All right, thank you so much, Abel. I mean, that was that was really elaborate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just um, it, it's just depressing information more or less. I mean, the budget IT does um, they just do a fantastic job in just bringing this out so we can even talk about it, but it's just depressing, really. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Abel, by the way. So, um, Carlo, let me have you on this one. With all of these issues, right, the duplication, you know, same location, same project, different agencies. Um, look at the example Abel cited, construction of a block of classroom was carried out by two different agencies. So, in this particular issue, would you now say, or do you think Nigeria has a revenue problem or would you rather say we have an expenditure problem? Yeah, great question, Nancy. Um, so I come, come at least from the personal finance angle, right? And you can clearly see that Nigeria has a spending problem. Okay. And it's pretty easy to see. Spending is a choice. Uh, revenue, yeah, you can, you can classify revenue, but how you spend money is a choice. That's really the short answer. And there are lots of examples, apart from what Abel has given. In 1970s, Nigeria had the oil boom, right? Where we had tons of revenue, tons. We, the, the president was quoted as saying, the head of state back then, the Nigeria's problem is not money, but how to spend money. Spend that was yeah. a quote right there. Yeah. In, from 1970 to 1973, Nigeria did not spend up to 1% on education of the, on the federal budget. From 1970, Till 1973, none of these years in the oil boom did we spend up to a percentage on education. Hmm. From 1960 to 1990, only one year did Nigeria spend more than 10% on education. So we, the revenue argument falls away when you look at how we are actually allocating the, the revenues that we do get. This year, this year, Abel has given us the figures, right? But this year is a massive spending of about 13 trillion on, on fuel subsidies. That is more than the wow. capital allocation to 
uh, to build roads, bridges, and all that. Just subsidy on the PMS. You want to ask yourself, what's going to happen to Nigerians? Is it the roads and the rails to drive on and reduce the cost of doing business, or the cost of importing PMS for you know for, for Nigerians? It's it's important, but it's what's the priority really now? Is it healthcare, education, or is it cheap PMS? And that's the decision point we're talking about, and that's the spending. So Nigeria does have a spending problem, not a revenue problem. The bucket is leaking. It has just one problem. That's how I look at it. Oh, okay. So the, the problem is that we don't know how to spend our money, but we get good inflow of money. The problem is that we have a misallocation and we are not optimizing our revenues, both the, 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 the fiscal um, the revenues and of course the carbon revenues that are coming from the gifts in quotes of, of crude oil. It's not been allocated properly. Abel has just given us a rundown of how raw materials research and ocean fishes are building streetlights. That is also expenditure, and that would look like capital expenditure. Yeah. But the net effect of that spend is suboptimal. So it's not the revenues. If Nigeria's revenue triples, then we'll build, instead of a 5 billion library in NAS, we'll build a 50 billion revenue uh, library in NAS. So it's just, we, we spend when the money comes and we lock the spending in but the revenues are not locked in. So we don't have this debt. So the problem is not that we don't make enough money, it's that the money we get, we're not spending it properly to generate wealth and improve productivity down the line. All right, thank you. Thank you so much for that thought. Um, so um, let's have Abel here. Abel, what would you say um, regarding your thoughts right now on the effect of federal government's public spending, you know, as captured in the 2022 budget. Because if you look at it, now I'm talking about the effect on both the economy and on the citizens. You know, the government is also saying they want to, they are projecting they'll be able to, you know, contain inflation to some extent and grow the GDP by what, 4.2%. So let me have your perspective on this. Uh, okay. Uh... So thank you, Nancy, for that particular question. Um, and if I will build on, on what has been said here, um, in reality, the spending we have, especially as outlined in the budget, uh, is, is not exactly optimal. Um, but let's go back to why we even have a budget in the, in the first place. Typically, budgets are supposed to fund a strategy. Budgets are supposed to fund our development plan. And those plans have targets. They have aspirations in terms yeah. of what that was the quality of life you would want for Nigeria. What's the um, agricultural production output you expect to see? What's our GDP growth rate? What's um, the job creation um, projection? Um, those are targets that can be achieved um, with um, the development plan. But the development plan only exists on paper if the budget is not fully optimized or fully aligned with our development plan. A lot of the things we have in the 2022 budget are besides what was initially um, promised uh, in the development plan. So if we have a budget that is not adequately funding the National Development Plan 2021 to 2025, what is the guarantee that we are going to meet the targets promised in that plan? So that's the concern. So if you have a plan and you're not working towards the plan, you're not financing that plan, 
um, it, it just raises doubt as to um, the seriousness or the feasibility of achieving the targets um, in that plan. And let's keep in mind, the current um, National Development Plan um, 2021 to 2022 was actually launched late. Um, I think it was launched um, in late 2021, meaning that it wasn't used in the 2021 budget. So within that five-year plan, we've lost one year. And then coming to 2022, we should at least fund some of the federal government um, components in that national development plan. We see a serious misalignment between the uh, brilliant promises in that plan um, versus the reality of where the money will be flowing to um, in, in 2022. So I, I think there could be a lot of missed targets um, as a result of the um, way the current spending is outlined in the budget. Uh, but beyond that, um, there is a concern on if the government will be effectively or will effectively be able to um, control um, in inflation, especially food inflation. Because if you think about what's driving food inflation, part of it is uh, reduced production or some sort of scarcity in the production of food. Part of it also has to do with uh, inefficiencies in our agricultural produ uh, production system. Part of it also has to do with a lot of post-harvest losses um, that reduce the quality of food, the quality and quantity of food that make it um, into the market from the from our local local farms. And ultimately, we end up importing some food products, um, and then the ones locally available, um, I, I bid um, high, and the prices keep keep rising. But then the agencies that should be responsible for containing this situation, agencies that should be responsible for introducing new research and new ways um, to store our products and reduce post-harvest losses, those agencies are right now, they have more than 60% of their budgets allocated to constructing streetlights, to purchasing motorcycles and things that have little or nothing to do with their core mandate, but are just easier contracts that can be awarded um, and basically um, redirected to, to vested interest. So if we have a scenario like this, um, it's a cause for concern, the extent to which um, the expenditure plan outlined in the budget will achieve the targets promised um, Nigerians in the national development um, plan. But on a, a larger implication of this would be um, potential erosion of private sector confidence in the government if we have a lot of loopholes for corruption and a lot of loopholes uh, for, for fraud and spending inefficiencies. The private sector is also supposed to contribute um, to funding the National Development Plan. Um, so so what's, the, what's the incentive they have if the little revenue the government is trying to raise is being spent spent inefficiently and it's almost going to make its way um, to private uh, or to, to personal pockets. Why should the private sector really be committed to the country's um, development development plan? Um, the last effect I would um, say about the current spending plan is that it will tend to um, widen the trust deficit um, between the citizens and the government. Because if you look at all the loopholes for corruption and the billions and billions of Naira that's been um, misallocated um, to very suspicious areas, um, it begs the questions or it raises the questions in the minds of citizens that why is the government saying they don't have revenue if they have this much revenue um, to spend in certain areas? And this will build up resistance in the minds of people um, to logical issues like 
the removal of um, subsidy um, and other critical um, expenditures because if the government tries to touch subsidy an argument citizens can make is how about the spending inefficiencies you have um, in the budget how come you're not optimizing that we have billions and billions of naira um, being lost to spending inefficiencies so i think the government needs to um, amend this budget or the plans outlined in the budget um, and then um, take out some of these um, worrisome issues so that it begins to build confidence in the citizens and it begins to close the trust deficit between the citizens um, and the government. So speaking about the National Development Plan, right, uh, for 2021 to 2025, uh, federal government expects the private sector to contribute to over three, 250 uh, trillion naira, you know, to finance the plan. So now, um, Carlo, what do you think is the prevailing perspective, you know, in the private sector, especially with respect to uh, them investing in infrastructure and probably contributing contributing significantly uh, to the national development plan. Uh, thanks, Nancy. Um, yeah, I say in, broadly, it's a good plan. You know, broadly, um, where they have, um, should we say, the the, the, the the road infrastructure development refurbishments, is it act also where private sector companies can invest in infrastructure and then get a tax break. So MTN is building a road, I think, in Oweri or so, and they're going to write that off. Uh, in their books pay taxes. So we already have that that going on and it's been broadly accepted by the private sector. Bua, Dangote, many are doing the same all across Nigeria. It's perfect. It's also good because we also have long-term savings now in Nigeria via the pension uh, funds. So you yeah. can have long-term funds that you can tie into this. So you have the, the, the private balance sheets the PFAs and then you then have the infrastructure uh, equity funds and all that. So we have the structure around that we can build on this. Is it going to go up to 250 trillion? It's not even going to get half or a quarter of that. I think the total pension funds in Nigeria, everything is about 13 trillion. And of course, it's got to be allocated all, all, all around. Uh, how many private sector companies have the balance sheet of MTN uh, or, or Dangote? So we're not going to get that amount, but I think it's a very, very good way that we can bring the private sector in and get an infrastructure without borrowing. The, like, the issue really in Nigeria now is, is revenue to debt. There's just no revenue and you have to build infrastructure. The population is growing about 3% per annum. So we have to build new roads, new houses, new schools, and we don't have the money. So this is a perfect idea, but not the amount, but the structure and the intent is in the right place. Okay, so is there like maybe a, a specific amount or maybe an amount you would you know, recommend other than the 250 trillion? I, I want I want more. I just I just thinking that it's not gonna be realistic. There's just no way the private sector is gonna generate and invest That's, even, yeah. even a quarter of, of two hundred fifty trillion in one fiscal year or in four fiscal years. I, I I don't see it because the laws are there, right? But it's also uh business companies. It's gonna be to invest in this, you imagine a board would have to go past the region to say we're gonna take revenue or cash from our our reserves and we're going to invest in this road then you have to make the argument why are we invest in this road is it going to benefit us directly or is it going to benefit us indirectly dangote okay. has a 
uh, and Boa, they, they, they run trucks on those roads. So to them, if the roads are good, it helps their, helps their. You know, yeah. So a proper port is being built because they are importers. But the bulk of Nigeria's GDP, you know, where's the money coming from? You know, services and all that. Would the telecom company um, or the smaller ones go fix roads in a papa? They don't import stuff via papa. So the use case has to be uh, a bit clearer. So perhaps you want to really push this out more into the, so we say the rural areas. We already have a law that says if you go to rural areas and you invest in, in, in electricity roads and you provide those services, you can get up to 100% um, transfer on that expenditure from your from your taxes as well. So perhaps you, you have a market where you can say anyone in Nigeria that is doing rural infrastructure, right? You can sell that tax credit to a market. And I, as a multinational or even as a bank, can go buy that tax credit. If you create a market like that, then you then have lots of people that are like in my village, I could build a water pump, what's maybe a 10 million, and then sell the tax revenues. And then a bank could buy it either to offset their taxes or offset their import duties. So if you create yeah. that market, you get more at the lower base doing more projects. Uh, than going for the MTNs and the, the Dangotes. Maybe that would then increase uh, the volume of rural infrastructure that, is, that we can see happening. All right, thank you so much, Carlos. So let's move over to debt, right? And Nigeria's debt, it's no news. It's steadily on the rise, on the increase. So what are your thoughts on uh, the country's rising debt? And probably are there any alternatives that, you know, the Nigerian government can actually uh, consider to kind of lighten our body? Edel? Um, so in terms of alternatives, um, I think the first thing in, in trashing out a problem is to examine how um, the problem evolves in the first place. And for the debts we incur, um, a lot of it comes from um, scenarios where there is a difference between the revenue we make um, and the expenditure we expect to incur, which is referred to as a, a deficit. Uh, 2022, we have a deficit of over um, six um, trillion, over six trillion. So meaning that we would have to borrow um, as much as that um, to really be able to finance expenditure. So the first point I would raise in terms of reducing the growing debt would be to cut out the fat from this deficit. And by fat, I mean those expenditures that are padded, those expenditures that are um, duplicated, those expenditures that are quite honestly not in line with the National Development Plan and outside the mandates and capacities uh, of certain ministries. We need to trim down on those types of expenditures. Um, and in that way, we will reduce um, the deficit and then we'll reduce the amounts of debt we're expected to go to the markets um, to, to borrow both from uh, local lenders or international um, um, lenders. So that's one way we can address um, the debt problem. Um, reduce the deficit by reducing some of the wastages and suboptimal um, expenditures. Um, another way I would say we can um, turn to is to, um, and, and again, this ties into um, what um, Kalu said, something very interesting about um, how private sector um, is constructing roads uh, with examples from MTN, Dangote, and yeah. the likes. Mm -hmm. Now, the government can build on that road tax infrastructure credit scheme um, for several other sectors. Uh, the government needs to leverage more of public-private partnerships 
um, in financing some of its agendas as opposed um, to loading everything onto its projects. So for example, um, there is um, a provision um, for over a billion naira for the construction of several driver training schools um, across the six geopolitical zones. Um, we genuinely believe that um, a glorified driver training school should not really be the direct or primary priority of the government at a time like this. Those are things that can be handled by the private sector effectively. Um, and then the government just licenses their facilities um, for the um, purposes of those trainings. So if we cut out um, some of those projects we want to do in the budget, um, but are best done by the private sector, if we outsource them truly to the private sector, we will see a scenario where there is a reduction in our deficits um, and there is a reduction in the amount of um, debt we would have to go out um, and, and borrow. And this can be done, I mean, what's been done with the road tax um, infrastructure credits um, can be done for the health sector. I mean, once you, um, once you, once, once the program is introduced, we can have scenarios where people get tax credits um, for constructing primary healthcare centers. Or if you spend five million on renovating a healthcare center in your community, you get a tax credit that much. And I mean, as Carlo put it beautifully, uh, you could create a framework where uh, th those those credits could be sold, or you could even utilize it in your own um, company. So that would be a very good way um, for the government to get private sector citizens to really be involved directly in some of these spendings, um, as opposed to loading everything onto the budget, um, which has the ultimate effect of um, widening um, the, the the trust, the, um, the the deficit or the fiscal deficit in the budget. So I'll say that's one way, or those those are some ways um, or alternative pathways we can take um, to trim down the amount of debt the country is going to incur going forward. I would say despite the rising debt in the country, it's quite unfortunate that the level of corruption is also steadily on the rise. I mean, last year we were at what number? This year we are a step higher, or should I say a step lower? Because um, if you look at the Transparency International, who just released the Corruption Index, um, we showed an increased level of corruption in Nigeria. You know, out of 100 points, we are 24. And that is no better from where we were in 2020. So what would you say about this? What's your opinion on this, Carlo? Yeah, uh, you know, we've been on this transparency index for quite a while, isn't it? And I think it's, um, if we use the medical term, I think corruption, sadly, in Nigeria is endemic, you know, it's there. And yeah. we can try and move one or two point, 10 basis points and all that, but there's no broad base, you know, acceptance by the general uh, population and also the business uh, folks doing business with Nigerians, even at the airports and all that, the first point of contact, that corruption has gone down. Uh, that is, that's an endemic problem and I think a big failure because if we have that message in that, listen, we are serious about fighting corruption, it does rub off on how you can get investors and how citizens even view the budgets and how they connect the budgets to their daily lives and their unpaid taxes. But I want to make a point here that sometimes I think is often overlooked. You know, when we, we have to define really for ourselves what corruption is, right? And yeah. many of Nigeria's problems are really based off not corruption, right? But, it, but you know, the legal quote-unquote corruption of allocation of, uh, of assets. 
you know, after that Jalkuta, really all the steel plants in Nigeria. If you look at all the steel plants in Nigeria, there's one in Katina, uh, one in, um, or is it Oyo, one in Jos. Um, there's um, Jalkuta is near the, or the uh, iron ore mines. If you go back and read how these steel plants and how Jalkuta was sited and the reasoning behind them and how they were built, Ajakuta didn't fail because of corruption, you know. It's lots of planning factors that we we, we we woke up and we doubled the capacity or we passed the bill and we said you can only get forex to build a steel plant if you are making steel. So the Russians imported steel billets from Ukraine and simply produced steel in Ajakuta to yeah. get forex to do Ajakuta. This had nothing to do with corruption, you know. What's a steel plant doing in Katina, you know? What's an oil refining doing in Katina? All these are legal expenses that because we were not taught, well taught how to attach to a plan, have quote unquote failed. So the legal, the, the spend that is, that is mal done, that is not done properly, right? It's a very, very big part of this quote unquote corruption of use of public funds. Not just the legal, I sign a budget, it's approved, it's legal, but how we are abusing the power. You know, what Abel didn't want to say was that the, the gentleman that the school has been built by two um, different agents. agencies. Yeah, he's a, he's a speaker, so you know what's going on, right? So he's a speaker, and, and I'm told just that just two. So they've gone to the bodies and they're like, hey, okay, you want to build, a, you want to get approval, you've got to build a school, uh, it, 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 build that school for a billion. Same thing with the other guy building the the, the, the uh, street lights. So this is the part. Those street lights, how, how do they contribute to the productivity of that state? Or to the nation, but is it corruption? No, because it's properly signed. The money will be released. It's properly yeah. allocated. So it's not corruption, right? But you know, so if we start to expand the definition of corruption to include this allocation of resources and how it affects us, it's the same as the corruption, the effect of corruption. That's my view. Right. All right. But if we are to look at um, inflation, uh, our economy, and possibility of creating more jobs. Uh, in the country, what do you think uh, the government can do better in this aspect? Yeah, yeah, great question. So inflation is is difficult to define and also difficult to see what causes it, right? So, but the mm. most common definition is inflation is too much money chasing too few goods, right? Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, if you look at that definition, so there are two things that could cause inflation. Either you have too much cash or you have too few goods. Yes. I think in Nigeria's case is we have too few goods. So prices in Nigeria are going up. Let's take bag of rice. Bag of rice is going up or it has stayed up because the production of rice the supply of rice has not met the demand. The demand, yes. Yeah, you see lots of rice mills and all that. But if 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 supply really hits the market, then by basic economics, the price will just start to come down. It's just basic economics. So why why is there no supply? Because the, the Nigerian consumer really has no purchasing power. So we're on. Let's think the minimum wage has been fixed. I believe since uh, almost almost a decade. But gas prices have gone up. Um, everything in Nigeria price has gone up. The dollar was maybe 117, now it's 414 officially. Yeah. Everything has gone up, but the, the, the Nigerian consumer, the wage earners' wages have stayed 
completely flat. So you see a 50k bag, kg bag of rice is unaffordable. So they, they make it 25 kg, they make it 10 kg, so it can be affordable and can be bought by the quote-unquote middle-class Nigerians. But still, we have a sachet economy because the consumer has no purchasing power and cannot spend. Thus, it's like a supply side. Nobody's going to produce if no one's going to buy. So we have limited supply because the infrastructure makes it expensive to produce in Nigeria. It's cheaper to simply import and sell than to produce in Nigeria. So that's the problem, right? So how can we then solve this? I mean, build something that generates jobs, right? Take housing. One house generates, give or take about eight jobs, just one house, right? And that's yes. going to be, those guys are going to build it. What if we said we're going to build one first stack in Lagos and one first stack in Portacourt, one first stack in Abuja, and we're going to do this every three years, right? So look mm -hmm. at the nails, the roofing sheets, the asphalt, the painters, the mortgage, yeah. lawyers, all that that's going to happen. The people you're going to employ, right, in those mm -hmm. clusters, the companies that are going to be set up just to supply roofing sheets, cement, and, and all that. The, the, the training, you have to go back to school and they try to train POP guys, plumbers, and all that. So you create this ecosystem around building homes. And there's an off-taker for homes, right? We, You and I would buy those homes. You yeah. get educational training and you get people employed. If yeah, people are true. employed, people then can consume. If more people are consuming, you then get that initial bump of prices going up. But then you see the supply will then rush in to meet that bump of income. Yeah. Because now, if I bring out a 50 kg of rice, people would buy. So as the prices are going to go up, more supply, local, international will come in and long-term, will force prices down. So the, the summary of what I'm saying is that the Nigerian inflation is a supply side issue. And to fix it is not to, interest rate doesn't fix that. It's supply. If you increase the supply of rice, the price of rice goes down and the inflation rate in Nigeria goes down. Rice, of course, being food. Food makes up 6% of the budget of, every, of the Nigerian household. So anything you can do to bring down the cost of food, bring down the cost of food inflation, it brings out the CPI, we then bring down interest rate. So it's all linked. We've got to focus on food. Food alone can solve the problem of inflation okay. in Nigeria. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, let's have a recommendation, you know, all of these issues, all of these solutions. What do you think is the way forward for the government now? Evil. What I would say is um, the government needs to tackle the problem of expenditure inefficiencies. Um, because that's one of the biggest um, issues um, in, in the budget at the moment. And especially when it's linked to very powerful and very high level politicians, um, it, it's difficult to solve the problem, but the government needs to um, find a place in its heart to consider the long-term implications um, of the inefficient spending um, currently going on. So that needs to be resolved. Uh, we recommend the budget should be amended to realign expenditures properly with the objective yeah. of several um, 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 agencies' mandates. That's one. Um, secondly, um, I would say um, the government needs to tackle food inflation. Um, and to tackle that or to take a stab at that problem, um, the government has to trash out the problem of um, food supply. Um, and this is not just to this, but this is not even to discredit the work 
um, CBN is doing by getting involved in giving out loans and things like that um, to people. I mean, the CBN is trying in, in those respects, but um, we think that's not even exactly its mandate. Um, but what we think the government should do more is those agents that are set up to ensure or optimize food production in Nigeria, all their expenditures should be aligned with that mandate. The agency responsible for mechanization in a, of agriculture in Nigeria, all expenditures should be aligned to that. <laughs> the agency responsible for preventing post-harvest losses for foods and crops when they are harvested, that agency's expenditures should be aligned to that. So we need better alignment, especially with the agencies um, in, in the agricultural sector. That way we would have more efficient um, spending of public revenue um, on, on critical areas that can help improve um, food supply. Um, the last recommendation is that there is a need for um, improvement in how the government leverages um, public-private um, partnerships in a yeah. um, transparent way, um, because there is some um, again, not a lot of capital in the private sector to meet our real needs, but there is some capital in the private sector that can be leveraged by the federal government. Um, but the federal government needs to design the right structures and the right framework that will allow um, these private sector investors um, to invest in infrastructure in Nigeria um, in a safe in a safe and transparent um, manner. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, quite insightful. Um, Kalu, how about you? Any parting thoughts? Yeah, I just think for the budget, we have to go to be a bit more longer term. Maybe copy what China does, where China does is 10-year budgets, um, and they agree on it. Um, it's easy for them. They're a communist one-party state, but Nigeria can also do that. We can have a, we already have this multi-year budgeting, but have a 10-year plan that the government cannot change. So wherever is the president, he knows he has to build three senatorial roads, 10 hospitals, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then no one can change it. If we can just maybe do that and then maybe save 10% from revenues, just all revenues, 10% go to the Sovereign Wealth Fund and the Sovereign Wealth Fund then funds this 10-year plan, irrespective of who is in power. That's a long way, right? So that would mean that all those projects that are done and agreed to in a 10-year cycle get done. People know they're going to get done. Whatever yeah. we sell in crude oil, 10% goes to the Sovereign Wealth Fund and they do it. The taxes also go there. Citizens become a bit more, okay, I know that these politicians can't get their hands on this. Okay, I'll pay the tax. So if we can link that spending to that plan, I think we'll get a better more in terms of the tax to revenue number that we're seeing right now. So that's what I'd like to get to see, to see Nigeria do something. Well, is it possible for that to actually happen in Nigeria? Where, where I mean, do you do that in nice... Nigeria? Where do you do that in Nigeria? I mean, look at the, how the, how your pension funds are being managed. It's managed by private sector people. Yes. It's a federal scheme. So look at also the Sovereign Wealth Fund. They are the ones that are building the second Niger Bridge. You know, Nigeria yes. is contributing just as a seed, but they are the ones building through a PPP with Julius Berger. So what if they built four bridges or 10 roads in that same model? Isn't that same, this new tax, law that has been passed, create an SPV by law, you know, and you can ask Nigerian even the diaspora to invest in that SPV, right? And it's owned yeah. by quote-unquote the Sovereign Wealth Fund. Put 10% of oil revenues direct, not net, gross, in there, direct. It just goes in there and put taxes in there and just tell these guys, you are, no government can talk to you. You're going to go out and do seed funding or direct investment in infrastructure. 
that's a, a way to to use this. People, you can if you live in a state and you invest in a U.S. Treasury bond for ten years, you get less than one percent. If that firm offers three percent, three percent on the dollar investment to build a train from Lagos to Calabar, why wouldn't I invest if I'm going to get my three percent? Why? I could take a loan here at one percent, invest in Nigeria at three percent as, as an impact fund, right? And I could then write it off on my taxes if Nigeria purchases that as an impact bond. So I go back and I write it, write it off. So we're going to get a bit more creative, you know, when we're, we're in a global village and we have to be a bit more creative in how we raise money and how we want to allocate. Borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. That's so 2000 and something. We have to move on forward. All right. Thank you so much, Abel. Thank you so much, Kalu. Uh, that was quite an interesting conversation. Abel Akeni is the head of research and policy advisory at Budget Foundation, while Kalu Aja is the financial planner. Thank you guys for joining us today on this particular episode. Well, that's a wrap for us. You can keep the conversation going on our social media platforms. On Twitter, it's at BudgetNG. On Instagram, it's BudgetNG. And on Facebook, it's also BudgetNG. My name is Nancy Odumegu, and do have a lovely day. Music